Hello, this is Bill Koenig with the Spy Command here with part three about financial behind the scenes of Dr. No. Film Finances Incorporated had agreed to provide a completion bond for Dr. No and supply contingency funding to ensure the first James Bond film would be finished. However, because of continuing cost overruns, Film Finances, under its agreement with Eon Productions and United Artists, exercised its right to take over responsibility for the production as it, as it began post-production. According to the 2011 book, A Bond for Bond, published by Film Finances, such an option was supposed to be a last resort. In 1962, Film Finances would end up doing it three times on United Artists movies, including Tom Jones, another film plagued by overruns. Dr. No producers Albert R. Broccoli and Harry Saltzman and director Terrence Young would retain responsibility for creative decisions. Film finances, however, now controlled the purse strings, author Charles Drazen wrote. The book reproduces documents in the archives of film finances. Post-production includes some additional film shooting to complete the movie, including shots of, of Sean Connery as Bond in a shaft in Dr. No's headquarters, the agent in his hotel room when a tarantula arrives, and two men exiting a hatch from the dragon that patrolled Crab Key. Originally, these shots were to be performed over two days. With film finances now in control, they were done in a single day, April 26, 1962. Other matters needed to be resolved. There had been 7,000 pounds, almost $20,000, in cost overruns for sets, overages that production designer Ken Adam had anticipated and informed Saltzman about. Film finances agreed not to force repayment of the set overruns. In return, Dan Jack S.A., the holding company for Eon Productions, agreed on April 10, 1962, to grant 5% of Dr. No's profits to film finances. However, Dan Jack had the option to buy back film finances profit participation for the sum of £7,000, plus an additional £2,500 after film finances recovered all money advanced to finance the production. Danjack ended up exercising the option, Dresden wrote. A copy of the agreement is on page 94 of the book. Another issue was Terrence Young's compensation. The director had agreed to defer as much as 10,000 of his 15,000 pound fee. More than 8,600 pounds was to be withheld from Young until it, quote, had been earned back at the box office, unquote, Dresden wrote. That's on page 85. This did not make Terrence Young happy. Quote, but I do feel, and I feel this most strongly, that film finances have behaved very shabbily, to put it mildly, the director wrote to his, in a letter to his lawyer. When I got back from Jamaica, I had expected to get a medal for what I had accomplished, Young wrote. I have never in my life worked so hard. I have never on any location film had to put up with so many difficulties. And at the end, I got no thanks whatsoever, but was told Cubby and Harry made a mistake in ever taking me, unquote. On pages 99 to 100, there's a copy of the memo by Film Finance's executive Robert Garrett about Young. Quote, I do not dispute that Terrence Young probably worked very hard on location, but I do suggest he is a director who seems quite incapable of ever making compromises when things do not go smoothly, unquote. In the end, Dr. No's final budget was more than 392,022 pounds, almost $1.1 million, 
according to a copy dated January 11th, 1963, filed by associate producer Stanley Sopel to film finances. The sources of the money were 322,069 pounds from a Bank of America loan, the budget before overruns, 10,063 pounds from United Artists, and 59,890 pounds from Film Finances. Film Finances, in a letter to Eon dated January 21, 1964, said as of December 31, 1963, it had been paid back with interest. From that point forward, author Drasten wrote, Eon would not utilize Film Finances services for Bond films. Thanks to Gary J. Furuta for loaning the blog his copy of A Bond for Bond. This is Bill Koenig at the Spy Command. I'll talk to you later.